I think what we're going to talk about today may be the most important sermon that you've ever heard on relationships. We're closing out our little mini-series on how to love God and love your neighbor. But there's some things that we're going to talk about this morning that, if you haven't heard them before, are going to really uh, be mind-blowing, and they're going to, it's going to kind of be an aha moment for some of us about that, that's what's going on in my relationships. That's why uh, things aren't going well, or I failed these several times in some of these different relationships. Jesus, when asked, who is your neighbor, he said, really, basically in this little story, your neighbor is everyone around you, those that aren't at all like you, those that are in your family, those that uh, even the, your spouse is your neighbor, but also those at work, and those that are far away are still your neighbor, the Batwa people that you've come to know through community of faith that live in Burundi, Africa. They're your neighbor. But how do we truly love our neighbor? If the most important thing is in life is to love God and love your neighbor, how do we do that? I want you to pull out your sermon notes today. I put some little blanks in there because I feel like that what I'm going to talk about today is so important, I don't want you to forget it. And I know that, you know, when you write it down and you can stick it on the fridge or wherever, you can remember it better. There's a couple of principles that are crucial to love your neighbor as yourself. And for some of you, this is going to change your marriage. For some of you, this is going to change your job. And for many of you, it's going to change your relationship with your kids. The first principle is the principle of separate realities. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but everyone possesses a thought system that's unique to them. And it's made up of our past experiences and our genetic makeup. Some of us, the way that we were created by God, we're designed and almost you know, automatically we begin to think a certain way. You, you see it with kids. When, when they're born, it, it's like some kids, it's almost like they come out of the, the womb kind of compliant and, and, and happy and, and just you know, wanting to please and others. Maybe you've got one, uh, you know, comes out of the womb with chomping on a cigar saying, I dare you to make me do anything, right? And, and you just feel like there's a genetic side of it. There is. But there's also our past experiences. And each of us, we live in our own world. You see, there is a truth. There is reality. Some would try to tell you there's no reality except what we make. That's not true. There is an object reality out there. God sees it. God designed it. But a little secret is you don't have it, okay? Because your world is not seeing things completely clearly. Your thought system is not completely accurate. We have this tendency to think that it is. Another thing that happens, write this down, between me and every other person in the world there are gaps. Because we live in these separate realities, there are gaps between what I expect and what actually happens. There will always come a gap in every relationship that's sustained for any length of time at all. Gaps between what I expect and what actually happens. My expectations and how people behave. There's a gap 
at some point. You said you would be there at four, but it's 4.30, you're not there yet, right? Uh, um, You said that you would help on the chores, but the chores are still undone, there's a gap. You said you would never do that again, but you're doing that again, right? Or it's just at some point in every relationship, there's gonna be a gap. It can be shallow, it can be deep, it can be general or specific, but there's a gap between what we expect and what we see. And you know that's true even between you and God himself. You know who tells us that? God himself. In fact, look at Isaiah 55, eight and nine. I put them in your notes for you. This is God talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You don't understand God. You can't even figure out how he thinks. That's what he's saying. And I think, well, shoot, we can't even figure out how our spouses think, right? Much less God. And it's, it's this thing that causes this disconnect between us and God sometimes. God, I don't get what you're trying to do. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what you're up to. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm pushing back on this. I'm pushing away from this. Now, there's another principle that goes along with the principle of separate realities, and this is what makes all the difference. It's called the principle of trust. The principle of trust. When those gaps come, trust is going to look for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. Trust will look for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. It's important because anytime there's more than one person involved in any endeavor, there's gonna be a gap from time to time between what's expected, what's promised, and what's delivered. Patrick Lencioni, in his book, The Advantage, he says that all of us have a tendency to fall into what he calls the fundamental attribution error. It's the tendency to attribute to other people their negative and frustrating behaviors we attribute to their character. We attribute to their character like he's late because he's lazy. We'll say something like that. But then, on the other hand, when there's a gap between what we do and and what others expect, we attribute it to environmental issues. I was late because the traffic was bad. And so we have this thing that we do. We don't give others the grace that we give ourselves. Remember Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what the Bible is asking us to do is to do the same thing that we would do for ourselves. To really love our neighbor, we have to put trust in the gap. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul puts it because 1 Corinthians 13, it's called the love chapter and it's so deep, but there's a little group of phrases right in the middle, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that for a long time I just couldn't quite get. It says this, Paul talking, he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now maybe that was spoken at your marriage at, uh, you know, at, at your wedding. May, maybe you've heard it in, in some other weddings. It's, it's brought out a lot of times. But as I look at it, I always am thinking, believes all things? 
Isn't that a little bit unhealthy? I mean, isn't that a little bit, you know, codependent or something? I mean, what about when there's so much proof to the contrary? Why would you still believe? And what Paul is trying to do here, he's doing something very unique. In verse 7, what he does, he takes a little Greek word that's translated all or always, and he connects it in four different ways with four different phrases rapidly back to back and they all go together you're not to take them out separately he's saying that love does these four things and he puts it all together and it's one concept so let's look at it he says love bears all things literally always protects that comes from stego the bears is stego it, it's it means to cover or to protect it comes from stege in greek which means roof and so you have the roof and, and uh, it, covers, it covers a relationship like a roof covers a house and protects it from storms. It keeps out resentment as a roof keeps out the rain. That's what love does. And then he goes on, he says it believes all things, literally always trusts. The phrase believes all things could really be translated, love strains forward with all its might to believe the very best in every situation. Hopes all things, literally always hopes. The Greek word for hopes depicts not only a hope, but an expectation of good things. So love always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. Hopefully, there's just something I don't know that caused this gap. Hopefully, he didn't mean it. Hopefully, I'm going to not give up hope until there's just no way I can continue to, to, to do that. And, and then endures all things. Literally always perseveres. It's a, endures is a military term. And, and it's, it means to hold a position at all costs, even to death. It's the word picture of a, a, a little group of soldiers that are surrounded by a vast army and little by little attrition is taking them down and then you hear the command, stand strong even to death. And as your friends and fellow soldiers fall around you, you keep fighting for it. You keep working. Now I want to tell you a crucial, almost overlooked truth that Paul is trying to give us here. Whenever there's a gap, I choose what goes in the gap. I choose what goes in the gap. When there's a gap between you and me, I choose what goes in that gap. You say, no, I don't choose it. You prove it to me. You show me. No, you have to understand it's a lot deeper than that. What Paul is saying is when you choose, I want you to put something particular in this gap. There are two things that determine where we naturally go when there's a gap. Number one, it's what you see, and we all know that. What I see, I see your behavior, and your behavior causes a gap, and there's a reason for that. I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what you're doing, and the truth is, no, you don't. You really don't. Because the other part of what determines what we goes in the gap is who I am, who I am, my experiences. You grew up in some kind of home. Maybe you had a bad experience with uh, an absentee father or, or maybe your mother was, you know, really something else or maybe it was a stepmother or a stepfather or maybe it was 
you know, growing up, you had, a, you had just a bad experience at school or with friends. Someone stabbed you in the back. Maybe you've had a difficult marriage or you had a really terrible first husband or whatever it is, there's something in you over time that causes your heart not to trust. And so part of that is just surviving the world, right? Because it's a, it, it, it's a difficult world out there. I want to tell every single one of you in this room, and I want you to hear me really clearly, congratulations to you because you're a survivor. See, some of you would say, this is not making sense to me because if you could just hear my story and I'm saying, I've heard a lot of stories and I've heard a lot of your stories and I validate them. They are horrific, terrible, the things that have been done to you. I'm not minimizing that at all. I say congratulations to you. You're a survivor. A lot of people would have just curled up in a little ball and died if they had gone through what you've gone through. But Paul, earlier in this same love chapter, he says it's time to put away childish things. Those things that helped you survive, now they're killing your relationships. Those little tools that you put in your tool belt <clears throat> that you thought were going to help you survive, that, that distrust and that pushing everyone away, it's killing your marriage. Or maybe it already has killed one or two of them. And it's time to learn something new. And it's really important that we do it. Years ago, I read a book called The One Thing You Need to Know by Marcus Buckingham. And it's really a leadership management book. But it had this one part in there about marriage that I thought was so interesting. He said there was a group of researchers and they studied couples who were very, very happy in their relationship. They'd been married at least 10 years and they were very Happy, happily married and they asked themselves what's the common denominator what's the one thing that's causing this they thought they knew what it was going to be because they had already studied thousands of unhappy marriages and what they had found in the unhappy marriages is that there was a huge misunderstanding between the two parties as to what the other one was like and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger over time so they assumed when they looked at these happy couples, what they were going to find was a very realistic view of one another. He's not really that good at that, so my expectations are low. You know, she's, she's just okay at this part, so you know, my expectations are pretty low. They were stunned. They found just the opposite, the very opposite. When they tested these couples who had been married 10 years or longer, and were happily married, they found a very unrealistic view of each other. They would give the man a test, for example, and he would score himself on you know, how romantic he thought he was, how hard of a worker he thought he was, and all these different areas. Inevitably, the wife taking the test for, you know, about her man would score him higher in almost every area. And what they discovered, it was true for the man with his wife too. And they said, love really is kind of a bit blind. And some of you are going like, I, I, I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense to me. But you know what I'm talking about because you did it. Remember when you first fell in love with that man? And they tried to tell you, all your friends said, I think he's a control freak. And you said, no, he's just meticulous and, and, and very caring, right? Or 
You know, I, I, I think that she's got an anger problem. No, she's just passionate. <laughs> Remember? You did it. Well, these couples, they keep doing that. And, and here's what they said, and I thought it was so interesting. A spouse's positive illusion. I like that they were, used the word illusion. A spouse's positive illusion created an upward spiral of love. And here's their advice from the study. Find the most generous explanation of the other person's behavior. Find the most generous explanation. I mean, they're saying be creative. Think until you discover it. Think really hard. Come up with something good about what they're doing. And then, get this, this is the crazy part, and then believe it. Some of you are going, I am not going to do that. I know, your marriage is awesome too. Um, <laughs> here's a couple of examples that they gave again. It's like, she's not impatient, she's just intense. He's not insensitive, he's just focused. These are positive things that they put in the gap. Laura and I learned this a long time ago. And it's made such a difference in our marriage as I have learned that her heart is always for me and my heart is always for her, even when it doesn't feel like it. I was in a worship team meeting this week. Laura's in there with me in most of the meetings that I'm in because we do this together as the pastors of Community of Faith. And she's got so much insight. But I was going over this whole idea of trust and how, because we do try to do this as a staff too. And I want to go over it with the staff every year. So we we were talking about that. Now, in the worship team meeting, not everybody can be there. Some are at other places, other jobs, and so they're streaming in. All these computers are open, you know? And, and it's just, fun. I can't see all their faces. Some of them don't even want to show me their face because they're probably doing something else. I don't know. I got to put something better in the blank there, you know, in the space. But, you know, Patrick's is the funniest one because his just shows up. It's a picture of Jesus holding a little baby. And if you look real close, the baby has Patrick's adult face. So <laughs> it's just every time I look at it, I'm going like, okay, little eight-pound Patrick, what do you think, you know? But so I'm going through this, this thing with each of them, and some are in the room and some aren't there. And, and so I'm going through each principle, these commitments that we'll make in a moment that we'll talk about. And I was going like, Robin's not there. She's streaming in. And so I said, does that make sense to you, Robin? And she said, yes, it does. And, you know, does that make sense to you, Trey? Because he's not there. He's streaming in. Does that make sense to you? Patrick goes, it does, it does, you know. And afterward, Laura said, I know that you didn't mean it, but it really sounded like you're calling them out. Like you're going like, Trey, this one's for you, buddy, you know. And, and in the past, like if you would have come to me, if she would have done that 20 years ago, I would have been angry at her for telling me, which would be so stupid, right? Because, and now I've begun to understand, this changed everything. I have something else that I put in the blank when she says that, not like, well, you're just out to get me and you just don't respect me and you don't think, blah, 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 right? It's like, oh, you're right, honey. That is so right. Now, I still haven't apologized to the worship team. Don't know if I will, but... I had a, a guy tell me just a couple of years ago, when I married her, I didn't realize she was poison. 
Where do you think that marriage is today? It doesn't exist today. You see what he filled the blank with? And I was going like, I no, and I think it just might be some, some issues, you know, as both of you have them, and I see them here. And, but no, you couldn't say anything. Some of you, you like it when someone screws up because it gives you another excuse to be right. And you're going like, I told you he wouldn't come through. Didn't I tell you? He's late. Or I knew you were going to do that. And you win arguments, but you're losing the most important relationships of your life. Here's what I want you to hear. When you choose to assume the worst, even if there's plenty of history to back it up, Every time you choose to go negative, you've contributed to the demise of your relationship. Here's some more real life examples of how to do it right. He's a pretty direct person, and since this is my second marriage, I'm a bit jumpy. But I've seen what is in his heart for me, so when something comes out of his mouth that is sharp, it can still hurt, but I know he doesn't mean it, so it doesn't hurt for long. Here's another one. We're happy because I simply don't question his motives. I may disagree with how he handled something and think he's totally wrong and I'm right, but I don't question his motives. Another one. I was so mad. I was expecting her to be in my corner and she disagreed with me instead. But I forced myself to think about it and three minutes later, I realized she's right. The reason I could take it from her is that I know that her heart for me is good. She can say anything because of that how do you do this well it takes practice but you have to know the principles first right let me tell you what happens when you go negative it communicates this no matter what you do no matter how hard you try you will never measure up some of you just went back to your childhood didn't you Because you had a mom or a dad. That was it. That was where they were. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, you will never measure up. And one of the most powerful things that you can do with your kids, when you choose to believe the best, even if there's a pattern that's not, they're not being everything you think they should be, choose to believe the best as you communicate with them. And A healthy person responds to that and begins to move in your direction. Here's how it sounds in real life. Again, just because we need examples. Honey, I'm running late. That's okay, babe. Just take your time. I'll be here waiting. Who stole my husband? That's what you'd be thinking, right? Replaced him with a pod person or something. I don't know, but... Who stole my wife? You've created margin. Honey, I forgot to pay that bill. I knew you were going to forget to pay that bill because you are a bill-paying loser. (laughs) And your dad was a bill-paying loser. And your granddad was a bill-paying loser. And you just come by it naturally, loser. No, what about this? Oh, that's okay, baby. We'll figure it out. You've been so busy lately with everything on your mind. You got a lot going on. You know what that is? That means come my way, move my way. There's a gap, but instead of using the gap to make a point and drive home something that drives you further from me, I'm using the gap to leverage love and pull you close. See, God designed us as an acceptance magnet. Our hearts are drawn 
to acceptance. That's why people that are far from God love to come to community of faith because once they get here with all of their fears, it's like, oh, and everybody just loves on me. They just take me just like I am. It's crazy. No, it's what we're made to do. And it's within your power to choose what goes in the gap. Some of you are still going like, well, but what about, you know, when you've put something good in the gap and you put something and it just keeps coming back? Well, then that's when you choose to confront. You might want to just write that down. You, you see, confrontation is simply, I still want to believe the best, and I'm expecting a good explanation, so let's just talk face-to-face, not by email. Email's a terrible place to do this. You have to talk face-to-face. Jesus, in Matthew 18, write that down because you'll want to go back and look. He gave us a formula for how to confront. And some of you, you're going, I'm a terrible confronter. Good, because have you ever had a confrontation with someone who loves it? 8% of the population loves to confront. And it's no fun to be in a confrontation with them. You know, they're all lined up and everything's ready. And maybe you married one of them. I, counseling is available. But here's the thing. God's got something for us. And if you hate to confront, it's probably even better because you'll do it softly, do it better. Expecting the best is what we're supposed to do. Jesus doesn't ever give us formulas for anything except this. Because he knows life is too complex for formulas. But this can be worked out. I love that about Jesus. He knows we're going to have to do it. It's in Matthew 18. You can see it. Honey, what's wrong? You need to say. You need to, what's going on? What's wrong? You get, this is your opportunity. How do you say it? You see, we hold it in and we hold it in. And then when it's our opportunity... We over-communicate, right? That's a mild way to put it. So there's two commitments, and we'll go through these quickly. So you're going like, how long is this going to go? This is going, it's almost over, okay? We go through this really quickly. The trust commitment. I asked my staff to do this this week, and I'm going to ask you to do it. Just between you and God, but here it is. And you might want to do it between you and another person, especially if you're married, husband and wife. Number one, when there's a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I'm going to fill it with trust. I am pre-deciding right now. When there's a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I'm pre-deciding. I'm going to fill it with trust. Number two, when I observe other people filling the gap with suspicion, I will come to your defense. Can you imagine what that would be like? You know, when someone's going all gossip girl on me, you come to my defense. When someone's doing that for you, you come, I come to your defense. Maybe there's another explanation. doesn't mean that you have to say, no, you're wrong. You don't know. Maybe there's another explanation. Number three, if what I experience begins to erode my trust, I will come directly to you about it. If what I experience begins to erode my trust. I will come directly to you about it. And then there's a flip side of trust, and that's being trustworthy. So let's go through that really quickly. Number one, I will commit to do what I say, and when I don't, you will hear it from me. 
I will commit to do what I say, and when I don't, you will hear it from me. Number two goes right along with it. I commit not to overpromise and underdeliver, but if it looks like I am, I will be the first to tell you. Number three, if you confront me about the gaps I've created, I will tell you the truth. When you confront me about the gaps I've created, I will tell you the truth. Truth is what sets us free. Truth is what helps us know with each other where we are. Write this down. Our hearts are drawn toward environments of acceptance. God made us that way. This is an opportunity to draw in your neighbor's heart. You, you, you've been wanting that neighbor to come with you to church. You've been talking about your life change. As you do this with them, they, it's irresistible. With your husband, with your wife, with your kids, the chance to draw them in. And this is so important because coming up behind us is a, a generation of kids, most of whom have never seen and may never see a great relationship. They don't even know what they're shooting for. And we have the opportunity to model that for them. In fact, write this down and we'll be done. Our greatest opportunity to impact our culture for God is not going to church. It's learning to love each other. And our world is desperate to know this secret. They will know, Jesus said, you are my disciples because of how you love each other. Close your eyes with me. I know for some of you right now, you're kind of reeling a little bit. Some of you are going like, that explains. Because you were never taught that. The Bible has the most amazing principles for us. The Bible has these things that are almost counterintuitive to us. But can I tell you something? You've got to have the power of God to do this. As all that's within you and those early experiences and that stabbing in the back from a close friend and all of these things are causing you to put something else in the gap. It's a choice you have to make. It's not a feeling. Love is never a feeling. Love is always a choice. So don't confuse that. Would you just pray this prayer right now all across this room? Father, give me the strength to choose to put trust in the gap, to put love in the gap. I need your strength to do it. I need your power to do it. Some of you need to do it with God right now. God, I, I'm just telling you, I've been so mad at you. And now all of a sudden I see it's because I don't understand. I don't understand and I still don't understand. But I'm going to choose something. I'm going to choose to put some trust in the gap between you and me right now. And you watch what happens with your relationship. You might not know the answer till you get to heaven. This can turn your marriage around. This can change your relationship with that boss at work, with that coworker, 
This can make all the difference in the gossipy little neighborhood that you live in. And when people see us doing that, they're irresistibly attracted to Jesus in us.